Welcome to Desire Made Real, a Discovery of Witches podcast where we recap every episode of the television show spoiler-free. I'm one of your hosts, Mandy Kay, and when I'm not talking about Matthew and Diana, I'm still pretty much just binge-watching CSI because there's 16 seasons of that bitch. And I'm Caitlin, and when I'm not talking about a Discovery of Witches, I'm still reading the same series of books that I was last time because it's a series, and it actually hasn't been that long since we recorded. <laughs> That's true. It's only been a couple of days, but you know, that's okay. Podcasting is time travel. Yes. So each week we'll recap the episode spoiler free. We'll also include a segment at the end to discuss the books, how all the adaptation works, and we will likely dive into some spoilers here. But don't worry, we'll give you plenty of warning before we get there. Episode two was written by Helen Rayner and directed by Jamie Donahue. So same director as last week, but different writer. Yes, same director. So we do have a previously on, and in the previously on, I immediately discover that we were super wrong about something that we talked about last week. As per usual. <laughs> Absolutely, as per usual. So uh, Benjamin did introduce himself to Diana as Benjamin Fuchs, um, oh. which is how she was able to make the leap that... That Benjamin was the Benjamin that she met because she really did meet a Benjamin. Um, I mean, I just, to be fair, I've known more than one Benjamin in my very short life. That's true. But I, I get it, though, now thinking about the conversation that we had, given that he heard the blood vow. Um, so it makes sense that the Benjamin that she met was probably in the family. It I, I, it's less of a leap now that I see that he really did introduce himself to her as Benjamin. Um, I just couldn't remember if he had used his name or not. But um, the previously on has our backs and decides to tell us the episode later how wrong we were in the yeah. previous episode. And that sounds about right for our show. It does. It comes out and then everybody's like, you were wrong. You were wrong. Yeah. <laughs> not that I'm complaining. Fair enough. The previously on does call back a few other things that we need to remember. Domenico reminding us that it's the blood-raged vampire who stole the portraits. Um, we get a scene of, of you know, gallo glasses in it just because we always want to see gallo glass, right? Um, Chris learns about creature problems. We're reminded about uh, Father Hubbard. Mm-hmm. Since we didn't see Father Hubbard in the first episode. And, of course, Benjamin, we learn we're wrong. So many times we're wrong. I just think it's hilarious because whenever I'm taking my notes... Without fail, I just skip over the previously on. So I'm like, oh. yeah, we've already done that. But that I, but but it's like every time I skip over it, and then I come in, and I'm like, oh, Mandy always talks about the previously on. I do, I do. <laughs> well, you know, especially since for the U.S. Well, I guess for North America, they aren't. They didn't drop all of the episodes. It's week by week. That's so the true. previously on is helpful. It's it's less helpful when you're just binging the whole thing. But you know. It, it is helpful if you, if you have to wait a week and you're trying to remember what happened. There's a very long cold open for this. I mean, it's like four minutes long before we get to the opening credits, but it's, it's good. It's three separate scenes, which we don't usually get three separate scenes in a cold open. It's usually just one, but they're all important and they like dive you right in. I didn't write down when the, cold, when the opening credits were. Is it after the Jack reveal? Yeah. Oh, after okay. The Jack reveal. Yeah, so that is a long time. It is a long time. Um, so we actually, we open with Father Hubbard, like modern what? day and I'm modern like, day Father Hubbard, who just looks weird. He does look weird. I suspect. Um, he still looks greasy, but. He does, <laughs> but like he's tried to be 
Like he's tried to clean himself up and not the look glasses like... are a nice touch. I'm sure vampires don't need glasses. That's a fair point. But it does make him look a little sophisticated. But he's mm-hmm. wearing like a suit. I don't know if he is here, but he is later at least. He is. He is. And it's just think... weird. Yeah. And like the slicked back hair. So even though it's still greasy, but it, it's slicked back. So he's at least brushed it. I don't think he owned a brush in like 1590s. So, yeah, I don't I want to I want to specify that I'm sure the actor looks perfectly normal in his day to day life. But because (laughs) I know him and I first saw him as a 1590 basement vampire. Right. And now he's not in the basement. It's weird. It is weird. It's very weird. And surprise, surprise. Benjamin is with Father Hubbard. Dun, dun, dun. What? Um, Benjamin's asking about someone that Hubbard knows. We don't know who at this point. And Hubbard is very clearly unhappy. Um, I think he even says, why won't you just leave him alone? Yeah. So opening the episode with some questions, like what's happening? It's why do Father Hubbard and Benjamin know each other? <laughs> uh, and then we move over to the lab. And I something that I like that they do here, and they utilize this throughout the series, small spoiler, whatever, is that Diana looks more pregnant. So you can tell how much time has passed, like that it isn't yes. just one or two days later. It's like a, mm-hmm. at least a couple weeks later. Mm-hmm. I think that was smart of them. Yes. Yes. Um, so here we get Miriam and Chris updating Matthew on the progress of their research. So clearly they've spent time working on this. Yeah. It's way more complex than they thought. They need more people. They need more blood samples. And Chris and Miriam, oddly enough, Miriam is also championing for this. Chris and Miriam both want more researchers brought in because... They need, otherwise this is going to take years and years and years and they don't have years. Yep. Um, so then Matthew and Diana leave and they're, you know, kind of talking about the problem. And Matthew's like, we only have weeks because the babies are coming and we need to find it. And they run into a vampire who kind of stops them in this parking garage. It kind of looks like a meeting of the mafia. It does. Right? Yeah. <laughs> like one fancy black car stopping another fancy black car. Someone's going to get very, shot up. It's weird. Yeah. Um. And we get the best reveal. Like, Father Hubbard has brought us Jack Blackfriars. Yay! As a grown-up vampire. Uh, what? It's amazing. It's amazing. And I have to say, the casting for Jack, for grown-up Jack, mm-hmm. um, it's Toby Regbo, and he's amazing. Like, the the similarities, like, the, they, he looks like little Jack grown-up. Yeah. Yeah. He, he looks um, great. I feel like we talked about this when the casting was announced, but whatever. We can talk about it again. He yeah. looks great. I love that Diana was just immediately like, it's Jack, and ran over mm-hmm. there and hugged him. Yeah. That was so nice. Yes. Um, it's fantastic. And and Toby is just amazing at playing Jack. Yeah. Like, I, this, this, spoiler alert, this, I think, is my favorite episode of the season. This is your favorite episode of the season? I think so. Um, I mean, it, it's a good season. I think this is my favorite. And it's largely because of Toby and Jack. I can understand that. I I just like, I think Toby has better scenes later. Oh, he does. Absolutely. But I think it's, it's the reveal. It's um, the, the, we're going to get to a scene later where Diana's just so possessive over him. It's the family. The I do love. like that. Yes. Um, yes. Matthew embracing it and accepting it and it's just it's so many things like this i love this episode i love this episode a lot it's it Um, is really good i don't think it's my favorite but i it is very good and i'd like it i 
I understand that they were setting up a lot of stuff and bringing us back in and, and that sort of mm -hmm. thing in the first episode. And I liked the first episode. And then I watched this one and I was like, no, this is why oh, I like yeah. Discovery of Witches. This yes. is so much better. Um, yeah, no, this, like, I was really excited about episode one. I cried through a lot of episode one. And some of that was just, like, the the happiness and emotions of of seeing these characters again, of having these characters reunited. Yeah. Dealing with M's death. You know, it was great. It was wonderful. We loved it. And then I watched this episode and I was exactly like you said. Like, they just, they set the bar so high. Yeah. With this episode that it, I, and that may be another reason why I think this is my favorite episode of the season. Although the next episode's also really good. I, they're just all really good. They're just all really good. How about that? Uh, I, I also feel like this one is a lot less choppy than the first episode. It is. It's still choppy, but it's not like but we're just going like to cut to show here, you here, no dialogue, here, here, just people. Yeah. 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 Every scene matters here. I, I feel like every scene mattered in the first episode, but also they just had a lot to get through to set everything up. And here they can there. take a deep breath a little bit. Yep. Which they let us do here now with yeah. opening credits. Like, oh my God, Jack's back. Opening credits. <laughs> oh, and then this next scene, it's it's good. Mm -hmm. We, you know, we're back at the house in London. Everybody's there. They've brought Hubbard and Jack. Um, you know, Sarah's there. Marcus is there. Everybody's there. And Hubbard tells the story. Hubbard turned Jack because Jack was dying of the plague. Yeah. Um, and Matthew is pissed obviously. Um, but, you know, Hubbard kind of puts him in his place and his like, you know, you left him heartbroken. He went to the docks every day looking for you, desperate for information about you because you just left him. And eventually Hubbard had to tell him the truth. And this is where Matthew discovers that Diana gave Hubbard a drop of her blood last season. Yes. And um, we don't get shouty Matthew in this episode like we did last episode, but he is pretty pissed here. He is pretty pissed, and I understand why he's pissed. I just wish he had a moment where he turned it off and was a little more welcoming to Jack. We do get that later, but we, we do, certainly don't but, get it here. Yeah, I just feel like it, it feels like when when parents are arguing in front of children, you know? Yeah. Like maybe just save it for later. Yeah. So we do get... Um, Which is ridiculous because Jack is like 500 years old, but that's what it feels like. <laughs> 400, but... Um, Whatever. Yeah, I mean, he's still very much a child, though. Um, but there's a nice moment between Diana and Matthew because they do go off separately. They're in the bedroom, you know, and she's like, why are you so mad? And, and he talks about how he chose death, right? Because that's how he got turned. He tried to commit suicide when yeah. Isabeau found him and turned him. and. Diana's like, well, do you wish you had succeeded that Isabeau hadn't turned you? And of course he softens and he's like, no, of course not. Cause then I wouldn't have met you, blah, blah, blah. And Diana's like, exactly. You got a second chance at life and a family. And Jack has that same chance. Mm -hmm. And I love it. I love how immediately she's just like, I don't care that he's a vampire. He's, he's Jack. He's my son. Yeah. Like, and for her, it's only been a couple of months since she last saw, you know, child Jack. But she's accepted this Jack exactly the same. And it's it's beautiful. Even Hubbard has has a line. It's later on in the episode, but where he says, you know, I was his sire, but I was not his father. Yeah. Yeah. Matthew's always been his father. Yeah. And Diana's always been his mother. And 
I, I love that they're reunited. It's it's so it's so good. It's so good. Me too. Um, then we cut to Venice. Um, Peter Knox is in the witch's chamber at the congregation for some reason, even though he's been. You I know, presume expelled. he's quote unquote packing up his stuff, by which I mean having a tam- temper tantrum. He's absolutely having a temper tantrum here. It's, yeah. it's interesting. He has called Satu here. Um, he tells her all about the missing pages. He wants her to help him find them because he thinks he made her and she is beholden to him. Um, he tries to use power against her because she refuses. And uh, I have to tell you, grabbing that fucking ball is a really bad tell. Yeah, right? yeah, it like, is. He needs to find a better way because obviously she sees him reach into his pocket, go for that ball so that he can try to overpower her. And she's like, no. We're not having that. I am stronger than you now. Yeah. This may be the only time in the entire series that I cheer for Satu, but I legitimately cheered for her my, in this scene. <laughs> my notes here are, Satu fucks up Knox, four exclamation points. Nice. <laughs> it's so good. It's good. I On the other side, though, I do love how Satu has kind of taken over Knox's way of thinking. Because she's just like, oh, I have secret powers. I am the most powerful now. I am the witch of the prophecy. And she doesn't think for one second that Diana time traveled to the past and spent months there learning from witches there. Maybe she is also a little bit more powerful. Like, can Satu time travel to the past? Right. So I love that she's a little bit blinded by her new powers. Right. What's so interesting, because at the end, you know... um, she says to him, you and Gerbert are the same men obsessed with power. She's also obsessed with power. Yeah. But, like, she has turned into yeah. this, this is all about me. I'm a weaver. I'm special. And she just, I don't know, it's, she's blinded. That makes a lot of sense, though, because she's had to hold her own around these people, you know? Yeah, that's true. Who are obsessed with power and see that maybe the only way forward is to be obsessed with power. Yeah. Um, I do think it's interesting that we are talking about the prophecy from the head in the box again. It's been a while. Everyone um, loves be- a good head in the box. Right? Uh, beware the witch with the blood of the lion and of the wolf, for she will destroy the children of the night. It's I don't think we ever get a... thinks it's her. Full explanation on that. We don't. Not in the show. We do in the book. Well, so the prophecy doesn't actually exist in the book like that. But it's, it's just, I don't know. It's weird. But it's not the last time we're going to hear about it again this season, so. And so then we are back in the townhouse, the house, the London house, the home away from home. Everybody's shoved in this space. It must be terrible for the vampire's hearing house. (laughs) I love it. Yeah. I love this scene. With Phoebe and. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I love it. I love the interaction between the two of them. And I also like that they've used phoebe because in the book um sort of a well they're kind of smooshing story points together here but when they're with chris that's in america Mm -hmm. and at that point diana's doing some research with a librarian there and i i just i like that they've replaced all these extra people with phoebe right right i love like we talked about this last season that we Mm -hmm. were looking forward to phoebe and diana meeting each other yes and like they did exactly what we wanted them to do like they've both gone into research mode because this they're both historians yes we don't right i mean phoebe's an art historian but that doesn't mean that she doesn't have the skills research yeah exactly um and so phoebe has like she's 
dove right in to research the book and the books Dr. D had. She's trying to help find the missing pages. Um, it's beautiful. You know, where's the best place to hide a book, a page? Well, hide it in another book. So where did all of Dr. D's books go? And she's yeah. tracing all of that. And it's beautiful. And then Phoebe has some really super insightful comments about Matthew that go back to what you were talking about, Matthew, in the last episode. Mm-hmm. Um, she just flat out says, I think Matthew's feeling guilty about Jack. Yeah. And I love that we get that insight from Phoebe, who has had, I mean, we haven't seen, she's been in the house with, for months. So obviously she knows them more than she did in that one scene that we saw them together last episode. But for Phoebe to be the one who's being insightful about it when she's, quote unquote, the most outsider. Sometimes it takes an outsider. Nice. Yeah. And I also, she had a line at the end. Well, you know, because Marcus is like, well, he comes from a world where family and you have to obey and be loyal. And Phoebe's like, but he married a 21st century witch. Um, He's going to have to change. Yeah. (laughs) Love it. It's fantastic. Oh, then we get the moment between Jack and Matthew. Which is. A good scene and also a what the hell kind of scene. Yeah, I really love Jack here. He is strange, like he's sort of closed off, sitting on that chair all curled up on himself. But mm-hmm. he's also kind of vulnerable when he starts talking to, to Matthew. His whole face just lights up when he talks to Matthew. Yeah. Um, he's just, He's so excited. Like, I love it because he asks Matthew outright, why didn't you want me to become a vampire? Mm-hmm. But he doesn't give Matthew the chance to answer. He just kind of keeps going. And so Matthew never has to answer. Um, and, and Jack kind of opens up and, you know, says that he knew that if he became a vampire, it would give him a chance to find Matthew and Diana again. And Matthew finally opens up here. And this is where Matthew tells him that he's glad he's here. And yeah. Matthew softens and opens. And it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful scene between these two. I love them. Um, I love watching Matthew open up and be softer, especially on the heels of an episode like last week's where shouty Matthew was the worst Matthew. Yeah. It's it's so good. And to see Matthew Good do the work of being able to play both sides of that coin. Yeah. It's it's good. It's good. But yeah, then the reveal. Like this freaking casual reveal. Like what the hell? Like, I'm glad they do this for the audience's sake before we get to that scene with Baldwin. But, God, they just, like, pan over and see Jack has the portraits. Like, there's no buildup, no nothing. It's just like, oh, my God, Jack, it's Jack. And if you're like me and you always forget that it's Jack because (laughs) they want you to believe it's Benjamin so badly, like, it's just, it's, it's a little bit of a mind fuck there. I like it. Oh, it's fantastic, but it's just, it's so casual. Yeah. It's just like, do-do-do-do-do. Oh, Jack has the portraits. I mean, you could make an argument. I mean, we know it's not true, but you could make an argument that that Benjamin stole them and gifted them to his favorite grandson. Yeah, but at this point, we don't know. No, I know. I'm just, I'm I'm being an Benjamin and Jack. I I understand that. (laughs) Okay. His favorite grandson. Uh, Yeah, no, but it's... Jack, which is even more heartbreaking after the scene that we just had between Jack and Matthew. Yeah. He's so excited to be back with Matthew, and Matthew loves him. And but oh no, Jack is the blood rage killer. Well, it make it fits with how when just as Matthew was leaving the room, he was like, "We've a lot to catch up on." And then Jack was like, "Or clean slate." 
We yeah. just start new and you can see how much he just wants to forget all the shit that's happened. Yeah. And then we go back to the lab. I do like this scene with Chris and Matthew and how they do decide to let everyone in. I just wish mm-hmm. they'd gone a little bit more in depth into it and what their plan was. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause so like as far, if you're just watching the show, it's like, Oh, they let these kids know. But in the, book that it was this whole thing they were going to have these kids come in and then when all the research was done they were allowed to publish and like put it out into the world vampires are real folks oh i completely forgot about that and that was like a decision that they all came to because like like chris was saying in the earlier scene it's gonna happen and it may as well happen on their terms right yeah yeah i remember in the book there was at least one demon yeah. In the students. Yeah. And of course, they didn't address none of that made it into the, the show. But. Which uh, they've got so much to do. So makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, it does make sense. But I, I really like the bit in this scene, though. You know, Matthew keeps insisting that Chris can't understand the fear of telling humans. And he's so adamant. You know, we're not going to bring more people on. And Chris comes back with, I'm a black man from Alabama. Believe me, I understand what humans are capable of. Yeah. I love it. You know, like, Matthew can't say anything against that yeah. at all. And Matthew sees it. And you can see in his face. He does mm-hmm. He does his good face acting there that we've, yeah. we talk about a lot with Matthew Good. <laughs> Matthew Good is so good. Yeah. Um, this is also where we learn that Marcus had children in New Orleans. And they oh, need yes. to go there to... Because we need more blood samples, so they need to get on board with the family. And it's kind of a lot of information dumped on us here. But then then we get to the tense scenes of the episode. But, well, I mean, just before that, though, we do have Jack and Gallo Glass bonding over how much they miss Diana. And it's pretty cute. It is. It is. Um, Gallo Glass and Jack are working on motorcycles in the garage, I guess. I think Galaglass is working on one, and I think Jack is playing with one. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> I like it. And then Baldwin walks in. Fucking Baldwin. Baldwin. And just because he doesn't know Jack, he kicks him out, um, calls him one of Hubbard's strays, and then just, for, I don't even know why Baldwin decides to do this. Because Baldwin just can't decides, let shit go. Like, like, Baldwin doesn't know Jack, has never seen Jack in his life, and is just like, you have to leave, and then turns around and says, it's family only in this house. Like, why? Why was that necessary? Um, other than being a plot device, because it triggers Jack's blood rage and he attacks Baldwin, but, like, why is Baldwin such an asshole? You know what? Especially, especially because we were given, it was implied in the first episode, that this was Fernando's house, who is not technically a de Clermont. Right? So you know what, Baldwin? Shove your whole self up your own ass. Exactly. You'll probably smell better. <laughs> yeah, no, Baldwin is really showing the, like, I know we talked about him being a dick last episode, but he's he's on a whole new level here. And I don't know if it's just because he's on a power trip after seeing the blood rage, the the crime scene photos that Domenico gave him last episode, like mm. he's tripping here, but like it's just it's uncalled for to be that cruel for no reason to somebody he doesn't know in somebody else's house, right? Exactly. But again, it's a plot device because then Jack goes all blood ragey and attacks Baldwin. Woohoo! Go Jack! Ooh. 
But we do get a quick moment of levity. We cut to Diana and Matthew in this adorable yes. scene. They're just lounging on the bed. Diana's eating fudge. She offers it to Matthew. It's fantastic. Um, Is it fudge? She offers him a lychee. Oh, I thought it was fudge. Yeah. I really thought she was eating fudge. I just, I wrote down snacks. Oh, <laughs> snacks. She offers him food that yeah. she is eating. How about that? Um, she is trying to convince him um, that they need more people on the project. She's siding with Miriam and Chris. And um, it's, it's an adorable, just little lighthearted scene between the two. And the look on his face after she offers the lychee is really good. <laughs> He's like, why are you trying to give me this? Yeah. But then, of course, Matthew hears all the kerfluffle going on downstairs with Baldwin and Jack. And they have to go downstairs. And Baldwin is... Peak asshole mode. Yes. Yes. And Jack is... Jack is heartbreaking. He, he, he shouts, tell him I belong to you. Mm-hmm. And it's just... It's heartbreaking. He's scared and... But then Diana doesn't stand for that for a single second. No, Baldwin bites him, and Diana's like, fuck you. Mm-hmm. And this, this is my favorite Diana moment mm-hmm. so far. Take your hands off my son. It's, it's beautiful. She does the spell where she drops the chandelier from the ceiling and wraps chains around Baldwin's neck to kind of restrain mm-hmm. him. And take your hands off my son. It's fantastic. I love it. I was cheering here. Mm-hmm. What I've never understood is why not just kill him? Baldwin? Yeah, Baldwin. Like, I get that maybe Matthew has some sort of weird affection for him from some battle they were in 700 years ago or whatever. But why not just kill him? Why not just embrace murder? Because of Matthew, honestly. Because Matthew, I mean, Matthew struggles with this the entire episode. Like, we, And we saw it last episode, too, when they first brought up the idea of the Scion. You know, and Matthew comes from a world where family is everything the head of the family is everything loyalty is everything and so he could never like later in the episode he he has when he decides not to kill jack right like he has a line where he specifically says going against my family this is insanity like until matthew went through this specific set of events he was never going to be able to turn against baldwin which is why they could never have killed him i guess but I mean, it would be much more satisfying for us if they had just killed him because he's an asshole, but uh, Matthew was I, not. I will say there's, like, one scene in an episode later on that made me go, ooh, Baldwin. So I like that I get that one scene. <laughs> okay. But that's it. Everything yeah. else with him is the worst. Yeah. So here, Diana gets Baldwin to let Jack go, and Matthew has to convince Diana to let Baldwin go. Yeah. Um. And then Baldwin reveals that Jack is the blood rage killer because he bought, he bit him and saw his childhood, his memories, and what happened later. So now that Baldwin knows this, he orders Matthew to kill him. And in another heartbreaking moment, Matthew gets on his knees in front of Baldwin. Yep. Promises that he did not know about the blood rage, that he was not harboring a blood rage vampire. He didn't know. Jack runs off because wouldn't you mm-hmm. so you've said you know your father's just been ordered to kill you of course you run away and diana steps in and tells matthew no you're not going to kill my son i mean a lot of stuff happened there that was intense yes and i think the question on all of our minds is how does jack have blood rage 
And so we must go to the source. Hubbard. Hubbard. And the family connection is revealed. Benjamin is Hubbard's sire. Which means Hubbard is Matthew's grandson, which I'm sure makes Matthew so happy. So very happy. (laughs) Yeah. This scene, though, it's it's clear how much affection Hubbard has for Jack. Mm -hmm. Um, And I appreciate that, given the Hubbard that we get... In season three is so different from the Hubbard that we got in season two. Well, I hated Hubbard in season two. And I actually, I like and respect him in season three. I see the thing about Hubbard in season two is I actually did like him. He had good goals. Like he was kind of creepy and weird, but he really just wanted to protect people. And he didn't care about the covenant. He was like any creature, I will help protect them. And especially since like the rich vampire families will protect their own. But nobody will really step into, like, the random street urchin vampires. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, you're right. I think I just didn't like him because... He was set up as, like, a foil. Yes. And clearly Matthew has problems with him. And so we weren't really allowed to see anything other than the problematic bits yeah. covered. And seeing him here, like, have such clear affection for Jack and want to take care of him. You know, he, he even says... Jack begged me not to tell you. We we were hoping you wouldn't need to know. Um, when he's happy, it recedes. You know, we we wanted this to be a new start for him. Yeah. And unfortunately, Benjamin came back and ruined everything. Well, and Baldwin. Baldwin's good at ruining everything, too. Well, yes, Baldwin triggered this particular moment, but it would have come out. Yeah, eventually. Anyway, um, this is where we find out that Benjamin decided to use the blood rage as a weapon against the the Declaremonts. Like, he wanted Hubbard to be in that role, but, of course, Hubbard was just a carrier. He doesn't have blood rage. Um, But Jack has blood rage, and so he can use Jack for his needs. And he twisted Jack, you know, and told Jack that if he wanted to prove that he was really part of Matthew's family, he needed to kill people. And I appreciate that when Matthew hears this story, he immediately understands that this is not Jack's fault. Yeah. Like, this is not Jack's fault at all. And he he hears it and he gets it. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that he's still not thinking about carrying out Baldwin's orders, but he does understand that Jack is not evil. Yeah. Benjamin did this to him. And I think it's important that Matthew make that connection. And this is the bit because Matthew asks uh, Hubbard why he didn't protect Jack better. And Hubbard says, you know, I have a whole flock. I did my best. And and Hubbard says, and I was his sire, but I wasn't his father. Yeah. You know, and this finding out that Hubbard is the, the blood rage carrier. Yeah. Gives a whole new understanding into why he's against the covenant or maybe not against the covenant, but. Instead of siring his own vampires, he just adopted all the creatures. Yes. Right? Because he couldn't sire them because of the blood rage. Yes, that's a good point. But he could still create his own family. And I appreciate that he found a way around it and still was able to create his family. Yeah. And one thing that I understand why the show is done, but that I miss from the book, is um, we meet more of, of like, Jack's friends. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you, you see that he wasn't it wasn't just him and Benjamin forever, you know, for the last 400 years. He had some friends in 
Father Hubbard's flock, who like one of them, I don't remember his name, but he like sticks around and becomes Diana's chauffeur, basically. And he's mm. just a lot of fun in the book. And yeah. it's sad that we don't get to see any of the the good parts of Jack's life. Yeah, because it does very much read as if Jack, it's just been Jack and Hubbard for 400 years until Benjamin came in and screwed him up. Yeah. Um, which is sad. It's so sad. Um, we go back to the house. Diana and Matthew are talking. Diana, of course, wants to find Jack and help him. Matthew is actually still considering killing him at this point. And I love Sarah speaks up here. Like, Sarah doesn't have a lot of dialogue in this episode. She's just kind of in the background. But she speaks up here, and she's like, this is ridiculous. You are literally looking for a cure for blood rage. Why would you kill Jack right now when you could fix him? Yeah. And, you know, Matthew insists that you guys don't know what Jack is going through, the pain, the suffering. If I don't find him, someone else will. Baldwin, Benjamin, the congregation, somebody will find him, kill him, make his life worse. And so he's like, why can't I just put him out of his misery? But then he keeps talking himself through it, right? Mm -hmm. And he goes, this is where he has that line. He says, to save Jack, I'd have to disobey Baldwin. The head of my family, this is insanity. But Diana counters with, a father protects his children. Yeah, I think there was a silent bitch at the end of that sentence. (laughs) Like, so are you his father or are you not, Matthew? Um, But I will say when he was saying, like, like part of his motivation was definitely to make sure nobody else got his hands on Jack and like tortured him more. Right, absolutely. Like he wants to save Jack one way or the other and in his mind killing Jack is saving Jack. Yeah. And he he did sound heartbroken about it. Absolutely. Um he's he's heartbroken that Jack has experienced these things. He's heartbroken that Jack has blood rage, that he can't control it, um that he's clearly in pain, that he's been manipulated. That he was manipulated in Matthew's name. Yeah. Like these, I mean, it's, it's awful. And Jack is, not Jack, Matthew is clearly in distress. But I love that, that this issue is black and white to Diana. He is my son. Yeah. You know, he may not be my son by blood, although it turns out he kind of is at this point. Matthew's But he is my grandchild. son. And we're not going to kill him. Like there's no question. Mm-hmm. Like even, even when she finds out that Jack was is the blood rage killer like she's heartbroken and she looks at Jack and she says is this true but there's there's no hatred or condemnation it's we need to help you I still love you you're my son and it's Diana's loyalty here rivals Matthew's but it's for a different reason she is loyal out of love and he is loyal out of duty yeah and I love that juxtaposition I do also think Matthew is still thinking of his family as the people who came before him and not the people who are coming after him. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. And I think this is kind of where he makes the switch in his mind as him being the leader, not the son. Yeah. I think we get it for sure like later when he when he finds Jack later. That's mm-hmm. really when he, he makes that leap. But it's starting here for yeah, sure. Yeah. Sorry. I meant this episode, not this yeah. particular scene. Yeah. He leaves to go find Jack after Diana hits him with that a father protects his children, but we still don't know what he's going to do. And that takes us into the next scene where it's Phoebe and Marcus, and Marcus says that Matthew is out hunting Jack. And Phoebe rightly questions the use of the word hunting. And this is when we find out about how Matthew killed all of Marcus's family in New Orleans if they had 
blood rage. I really wish they had kept in here that Philippe ordered him to. Like, it wasn't just Matthew showing up and killing them, but that Philippe ordered him to. Thank you. Oh, interesting. I think I just I knew that happened. And so I think I just assumed that they said it in here and I wasn't just carrying it over from the book. I'm, I'm pretty sure they did not. They also didn't mention that What's-Her-Face was with him, mm, uh, yeah. Juliet, who died in season one. And that he was ordered to kill all of them, but he went against those orders and left alive the ones that weren't afflicted, that were just carriers. Right. Just because I feel like this scene makes Matthew have to be a bit more of an asshole than he is. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I guess I can see that. Gosh, it's, you know, and Mar- Marcus is, says hardly any of my family survived. And it's it's so interesting because it makes you wonder why Marcus chose to stay with Matthew instead yes. of staying with his family in New Orleans. We never get that answer. Well, we don't know that Marcus w- was there when it was happening. Like, I, Oh, I, well, I guess that's true because Marcus didn't know about at the time. Oh, okay. So, yeah, Marcus didn't know because he just found out about Blood Rage and that he's a carrier from Isabeau at the end of the last season. Right. Like, so he just found out about all this stuff. So he knew his family died, but I guess he didn't know that Matthew did it, maybe? Maybe. Or why? Or maybe this is just a weird, doesn't make sense. Yeah. There are a couple things from this book that don't make sense that you don't. When you're reading the book, it's really easy to just let it go and imagine and fill in the blanks. But when you're watching the show, yeah, it's a little bit harder. It's possible in the book that Marcus always knew about the blood rage or knew about it since Matthew had to kill his kids. Because mm. I don't remember. Well, there wouldn't have been a big reveal for Marcus because we never get his point of view in the books. Right. Yeah. So I get that they wanted that big reveal, but it does... It, that makes it even worse. It seems like, oh, yeah, my dad just slaughtered all my kids. I don't know why. Like, that's pretty shit. Yeah. Especially since later we do find out they all knew Matthew did it. Yeah. So Marcus had to have known. So it's, I don't know, that's a weird. That's a weird plot hole is what that is. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Then we get Matthew looking for Jack. Um, I just say, re- I just have their reunion written down. Oh. I, I didn't think the actual hunting was that important. Yeah, that that's true. Um, Jack is trying to control his rage. Yeah. I think that's great. Like, he's gone off by himself. He's trying to control it. Jack understands and accepts that Matthew has come to kill him. This this whole scene just breaks my heart. But he mentions Philippe and that Philippe told him to wait for Matthew. Matthew is completely shocked by this revelation. Yeah. Um, and it helps him realize that it's okay to let Jack live. You know, Jack accepts his fate here and he says, I won't try to fight you. And Matthew decides he's not going to kill him. You know, he said things change. Philippe was right about that. Yeah. Um, so I do love that we are. Philippe hasn't been forgotten. In oh, Philippe would never let himself. Of course, well, of, course of course, he's still having effects, like still like literally talking to Matthew here and saying, don't kill him. But right, like yeah. through through Jack, Philippe yeah. would never let himself not have a say. It's. It's a good scene mm-hmm. um, between the two and, and Matthew realizing he doesn't have to kill him, that he can. That things change. It's, it's wonderful. So he brings, he brings Jack home to Diana and we get this huge hug. Yeah. And then we get like the scene with him and, and Galaglass and um, Fernando. And I just, I really love how all of them 
Like, even Diana, who is significantly younger than Jack, everyone is just like, this is a baby vampire, and we will all right. just take him under our wing, bat wings, obviously. And he's like a 500-year-old disturbing murderer who has obviously seen some shit. But everybody's like, no, baby vampire. Mm -hmm. We will teach you. Yep. Yep. I love it. And Jack is just like, yes, I am a baby vampire. Please teach me. Like everyone who's accepted it. Yep. If I was 500 years old and people were treating me like a child, I would kill all of them. Right? But not, no, no, Jack, just baby vampire. Uh, my note for the scene is uh, Jack is sitting there in his bloody clothes. Get a clean shirt, man. And then immediately Fernando hands him a clean shirt. And I'm like, oh, I love it. These but, little details just make me happy. But he doesn't put it on. No, he holds it. <laughs> he just holds it. You know, against all the blood. But, yeah. you know, he's like, he oh, has it. I so. have a clean shirt now. Thank you. Oh, <laughs> alcohol? I'll take that, too. Yeah. Um, and I, I like this. This is where, you know, we learn that. Fernando is the one who helped Matthew get his blood rage under control. And it's implied that, you know, Fernando and Matthew will both help Jack get control. Love it. It's great. It is great. And then Fernando calls Gallo Glass on his shit. It's beautiful. It is good. Don't let Matthew know. Don't let Matthew know what? Um, you're clearly in love with his wife. It's beautiful. <laughs> yeah, this is where we find out that Gallo Glass has been following Diana her whole life. And is pining for her. Yep. Galaglass, whose actor name, obviously, not in my head. Um, Stephen Cree. Yes. He is another dude who has some really, really good face acting this season. Because mm -hmm. a lot of his his personal storyline this season is silent. Yeah. It's all in his face, and it, but you get it. Mm -hmm. It's so good. Yep. And he has some of that here. Yeah, yeah. Um, this is the first place that we learn that Philippe asked him to look after Diana and yes. make sure that, that she got through her life safely. So that she could meet Matthew. What a shit yeah. thing to ask. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting because, I mean, we talked about this a little bit last season. It, it was starting to become clear that Gallo Glass had feelings for Diana, but it was never explicit. No, they, um, they didn't really bring it up last season, except I think that they kind of gave him a moment when they said goodbye. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's definitely explicit here and mm -hmm. later. I, I like that they've called attention to it, especially since it does impact things that happen later. Yeah. And it it would be an easy thing, I feel like, when they were writing the season to make to cut it out mostly to mm -hmm. just have him have pining looks at her. And but I love that they have these small moments between him and Fernando about it. It's it's mm -hmm. really good. Yeah. Um, my next scene is just Venice, my next, sorry, my next notes uh -huh. for the next scene are just Venice, Domenico, Gerber, and Benjamin. I didn't write down anything else. My notes are, I hate Gerber's face. <laughs> and then his line, can I trust you, Domenico? And then I said, can any, can anyone trust Domenico? Can anyone trust Gerber? <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's three people in that room. They don't trust each other. <laughs> and they should not. But yes, Javert working with Benjamin. Dun, dun, dun. I feel like this is the dun, dun, dun episode. Oh, it totally is. And then, oh, but then we go back to the house and we get another adorable Matthew and Diana scene. Yes. They're on the floor by the bed. She's super pregnant. And, you know, here Matthew's made the decision he's going to form a scion. Mm -hmm. He's going to go to New Orleans. And Diana says, I don't want to be without you. They're so cute. Love yeah. 
They're they're cute. And he's going to bring Marcus and Jack with him to New Orleans. And then we have Matthew awkwardly telling the students that he's a vampire. It's beautiful. I do. I love it. Yeah. I love I love the the way that he dispels myths here with this like little smile on his face. I'm Catholic. I have a crucifix. I can go outside in the daytime. I sleep in a bed. Like it's it's a good moment. It is. And it's short and really to the point and it gets across like this almost goofiness of what's mm-hmm. happening there. Yeah. And then turn serious I, a little bit and yeah, it's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the way that they had like of course when he says it, all the students laugh. Mm-hmm. Kind of look around nervously, but they immediately recognize this is serious. And um, I like that he asks, are there any questions? And they all raise their hands. And yeah. it's, they're taking this seriously. It's good. It's good. As, as much as I think the book spent too much time on the lab stuff, mm-hmm. I did like all the kids and all their questions and, and them like learning, oh my God, creatures exist. We must research all of it. Like it was fun. It was unnecessary yeah. to the story, but it was fun. Yeah. Definitely. Um, We get another Marcus and Phoebe scene. She wants to know how many of his children are left in New Orleans. And we find out he sired 20 Mm -hmm. and there are only five left. Um, We don't know how many those 20 sired who were carriers who were spared, um, but only five of his actual children are left. My only note for this scene is, Phoebe, am I a stepmom now? (laughs) Love it. That's beautiful. I really love Phoebe and Marcus this season. Um, their relationship has clearly grown a lot. She is just part of the family. She accepts it all. I love their casual touches, mm-hmm. her like desire to know more about him and his life and his family and to be there for him. I really enjoy these two a lot. They're good. And they have some great chemistry on screen together. Yes, I agree. Um, and then we end the episode at the airport in like yep. a super posh like VIP lounge in an airport. I don't get comfortable chairs like that when I'm at the airport. Well, this is not at Heathrow or Gatwick or anything like that. This is like some, this airport is for rich people. Because mm, it yeah. says city airport, and I'm pretty sure that's like for private jets and right. stuff. So it's that the rich person sense. airport. Um, so we do finally get a good scene between Matthew and Marcus here. And Matthew... Sorry, I keep I keep mixing up their names. These well, MA names. Yeah, the M's. Marcus gives him a good list of demands. Yes, like, very easy. You, Anyone could do, do these them. things. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just turn against the congregation and drop the covenant and form a scion and like change the world and I will forgive you. Yep. But I I love that Marcus is standing up for himself here and he's saying you know, I've chosen a side and I expect you to choose the same side. And if you do, I will support you. Like, yeah. you need my support? Great. I will support you if you do the things I need you to do. And he doesn't just say, I'll forgive you. He says, I'll forgive you and, like, be the first to pledge my allegiance. Or I don't think he says pledge my allegiance, but, you know, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. So I think that's, I really think he's saying, show some goddamn backbone. Yeah. You know, become an actual leader and I will follow you. Yes, very much. Because Matthew still, Matthew believes he's a leader because he believes he's just stronger and has power over everybody underneath him. Mm -hmm. But he's not, like you said earlier, he's not actually a leader. He's still very much doing 
what Philippe charged him to do, even though Philippe is dead. Yeah. He's still following Philippe and, in many ways, Baldwin, because Baldwin is the head of the household. And and Philippe's chosen successor. Yes, yes. And so, I think I, I think Marcus pushing Matthew to step up yeah. is beautiful. I also think, like, from what I said last episode, it's important to keep in mind how much Matthew doubts himself. Mm-hmm. and And also, like, Philippe's death was a long time ago, but not in Matthew's lifetime. Because Matthew's 1,500 years old and Philippe died less than 100 years ago. Yeah. So the other... Well, well let's finish the episode and then... Because yeah. we've just got one more scene left and then we can... I, I have some things to say. Benjamin calls Matthew. He sent him a video of Jack murdering an innocent couple in a car under a blood rage. And my only question is, why are they watching a murder video in a public place? So, okay, this is a very intense scene. It's very well acted. It's very well done. And then Massive Attack. Teardrop by Massive Attack starts playing, which if is is the opening theme to House. Oh, and I couldn't it? I couldn't think anything else. I didn't I was, even notice. I was just like, oh, why? Like it just completely took me out of the scene. It's Were a you great expecting s- Hugh Laurie to show <laughs> up? <laughs> he's English. He could. He, he's kind of tall and vampire looking. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, he would make a good vampire. <laughs> he would. They need a, They need more doctors. Yeah, you know. All right, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> That's all I could think, and I, I just took me completely out of this very tense, important scene. And I, oh. I, like, did I didn't even notice the song? song because I was literally stuck on why are they watching a murder video on a laptop with speakers playing out loud? Yeah. in a public place. Yeah. <laughs> That's that's what got me. I was like, why are they watching House? <laughs> I love it. It's I a great it. song, really. But yeah. and, and it did fit the scene well. But why choose the opening theme song from a popular television show to put into your television show? Just choose a different song. It'd be mm. like having the Friends theme play, oh, you know? God. Yeah, and no, I, get, I get it. I get that House isn't as popular as that. But if you use the Friends theme anywhere else, people think of Friends. When yeah. I hear Teardrop by Massive Effect, I Massive Attack, sorry, Massive Effect. <laughs> it's a different thing. Um, I think of House. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. That's I, I I'm gonna go listen to it now and see and see if we we'll see what happens now that I know that. But um, the important thing about this scene is that we hear how Benjamin would trigger the the rage, and Jack. Yes. Um, by like invoking him. Matthew's name. Yes. Matthew will leave you and you won't be a vampire for him if you can't do this, if you're too weak. Um, and just watching Jack's face as he's watching this, watching Matthew's face as he's watching this, it's, it's tough. And this is where they leave us. This is the end of the episode. A lot happened in this episode. It was intense. Yes. Anytime a father chooses not to kill his kid is intense. Yes. Absolutely. So, so here's here's what I want to talk about with this episode, and this this kept happening, and I think this is this is a function of the TV show versus the book because I don't recall experiencing this level of cognitive dissonance in the book that I am experiencing here. Okay, and it has to do with the time travel. Okay, specifically, um, obviously Matthew and Diana, the time travel for them was just a couple of months ago, mm-hmm. but Philippe and Gallo Glass and Father Hubbard. And Benjamin 
have all lived with this knowledge for 400 years. I mean, Philippe's no longer living with it, but yes. Well, I mean, but he did for 300 years. I I was making a joke. Carry on. Okay. (laughs) Sorry. And, And so, like, so many things should have gone wrong over the course of those 400 years because these people know, right? But Philippe, somehow Philippe managed to continue being the old Philippe to the old Matthew for those 400 years. Like, like it's, it feels like there's some holes into how this whole thing works. And recognizing that, you know, okay, Philippe chose Baldwin to be his successor because he knew about future Matthew and what future Matthew was going to do and be and what future Matthew would need. I can get behind that, but there's just so many places over the 400 years where this all could have gone to shit. Okay. How did it not? Some and why imp- don't we talk about that? Some important things to remember. Benjamin knew that Diana had the blood mark, the blood vow, but he didn't know anything else. He didn't know they were from the future. Like he and he couldn't he could not have gotten close to Philippe unless Philippe wanted him to. So mm-hmm. he was probably searching for what was going on there also. You know, he And he, he didn't just got know lucky anything. with with Hubbard sire siring jack yeah he just kind of got lucky there yeah i think that's important to remember because benjamin didn't actually know anything other than philippe had apparently adopted a witch okay that's that's a good point thank you for reminding me yes and it's also important to remember that philippe did not know when he was going to die he knew that from wherever they were in the future he was dead then but he did not know when or how or anything like that right so he had to keep acting like he would he would be around because he didn't know when he wouldn't. Does, does that right. make sense? Yeah, yeah, I know that makes sense. And um, and, and insofar as making Baldwin his successor, he did also make Matthew the head of the knights. Yeah. And in that way, it kind of makes, it, not quite equal, but it gives Matthew some room. But how did Jack, I guess because Jack, we find out that Hubbard told Jack about the time walking so Jack would be aware that any Matthew that he came across would not be his Matthew and would not know him. Yes. And we do find out in this episode and similarly in the book that Philippe came to talk to Jack. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. And I, maybe I, th- I think that's why I think because I don't remember having any of these questions or issues in the book. So I feel like in the book it was handled in such depth mm. that it worked for me. But in the show, they've had to cobble so many things together and cut so many other things that it just yeah. feels like it's so fast and like there are holes. It's not perfect, but I don't think they bungled it as bad as the Marcus Blood Rage thing, which makes no sense. Yeah. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Um, I do like it does make me really angry at Philippe that he didn't take Jack more under his wing and mm. keep him away from Benjamin. But I felt that way in the book, too. It was bullshit. He could have done it and kept him away from Matthew. Yeah. All right. I think anything else that we have to say is going to be spoilery. So if you don't want to be spoiled, don't listen to the rest of the episode. (laughs) And I think we're going to do our spoilers a little differently this time, right? I think so. Because I've actually watched the entire season and so have you. And so have I. (laughs) So we are just going to word vomit, no details, just say what we desperately need to get off of our chests about how we feel about the whole season. So if you have not watched the whole season and care about spoilers, 
get out. Get out while you still can. Get out while you still can. I think I'm going to I'm going to yield the floor to you, Miss Gaiman. Okay, my favorite change, my favorite change. Sarah gets to kill Knox. Oh, yes. And they did it exactly how I was saying cuz last week I was saying I just want him to become unimportant and and kill and die knowing that he is not important. But in the book, he's working with Benjamin and gets like this big epic kill by Diana, which sucks. But in this one, he's working with no one. His life is falling apart. And he gets killed by a witch who he thinks is way beneath him. And I love it. I love it so much. Thank you. I feel like they wrote that just for me personally. Yeah. Oh, and I mean, it's not even just that he thinks she's beneath him. Yeah. He's like, while she's killing him, he's still like, you're just an elemental witch. Do you think you have power? And then she's like, I have a spell. And she kill it. And it's, it's beautiful. It's so beautiful. good. <sighs> No, the entire season is so good. Like, it's it's the best. Like, each season has successively gotten the best, has gotten better. And even though they had to cut a lot, you know, they only had seven episodes. They had more material and fewer episodes, so they had to cut a lot. Yeah. They did it really, really well. Yes. And they Um, changed a lot, too, like, with having Knox mm -hmm. not working with... Benjamin and instead having Satu working with him. I remember we used to think that they were going to give her a better redemption than the book does, but instead they went the opposite way. They were like, no, Nobody she's an did. evil bitch. And I was like, no oh, redemption for her at all. I'm okay with that, I guess. Um, yeah, none at all. It's I, I, I prefer this because Diana and the family did what they needed to do. Yeah. And that that's what we needed. And I loved it. And I love Jack. I mm-hmm. love Marcus and Phoebe. Mm-hmm. I love Sarah. I love I love all of it. I wish that we had gotten a little bit more of Galaglass. Um, I wish, especially since we get the tattoo of Cora that he has, that we'd gotten Cora. Or at least a reminder of her. Right. Yeah. Um, like they don't even use her name. Like he's just like, it's not a dragon, it's a fire drake, and that's all we get. Yeah. Great. Um, so I, I do I get like that that's an Easter egg for the book fans. Yeah, the book readers. That I mean, that's all it is. Like we did, we didn't need Cora the way that they gave us her power. Yeah. Um. Like she just is. She just owns it, and I I love that. I love that we relied more on Diana and her own strength mm-hmm. in the show. Yes. Um. It's it's good. Um. It it was fast. But they they did with the material the best they could have i think and it's it's so good it was so good i loved how they ended things with the congregation mm. uh that was good because like diana was having her whole speech and just mm-hmm. as it was getting like a little bit like okay come on you are an incredibly rich white woman with magic with extremely powerful magic and that but then she was like so i think we should hand everything over to agatha and i was like mm-hmm. oh Okay, that makes sense. I like your speech better now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, dude, Agatha voting for herself. Yes. It's beautiful. <laughs> so good. With that laugh. Oh, it's so good. It's just, it's so good. Yeah. Um, but I, I will say, I am sad that it's done. Yeah. Like, I want more in this world. Like, I get that this story was about how. It was about Matthew and Diana. It was about Matthew and Diana, and the goal of the story was to bring Diana into her power and to mm-hmm. make the world better for creatures. Mm-hmm. 
And she succeeded in doing that. And when that was done, it's over. But like now I want to know more about the twins and I want to know like what's going on with Marcus and Phoebe. And I just want to be in their life every day. I mean, that's literally what Times Convert is. Well, I know, but we're done with the show now. And I don't want us to be done because it was so good. Um, Definitely different from the book. I'm I think I'm glad now that I didn't reread the book. Because but it now is I, so different? Because it is so different, but now you. I, I want to go back and reread it now that we're done. Yeah. Um. But, yeah, no, it was good. It was, there was still a lot of, uh, all of London is underground. Yes. <laughs> the whole thing, but it's good times. Good I love times. that that joke is going to follow us. Uh, it was, I, I like that we're having this this word vomit here, because I'm sure once we pick apart the episodes will find things that we don't like as much. Oh, but absolutely. I'm, I'm still on such like a high of enjoying it so much that I, I, I like only speaking good things. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that Lots. last scene between Matthew and Jack. Oh, that was so good. All of it is good. Like, I, I don't think I really have. I mean, I will. When we nitpick it, I will have things to complain about. Yeah. But I don't. Just thinking about it as a whole, I don't have anything to complain about. Yeah. Um, with what they gave us. And and like we've been saying with the first two episodes, they never really do give up having those small character moments, mm-hmm. even in the midst of all the craziness. Mm-hmm. And it just it flows. I remember like we we questioned, like, how are they going to do season three, especially with all the things that they left out of season two? And mm-hmm. like there was no reason for us to be worried because they, it is a single cohesive story from beginning to end watching the way that she killed Benjamin. Mm -hmm. Like, I love that we get in the opening credits. We were reminded every time the way that she shot at Juliet with the bow and you could, and, and she's so frazzled and it was clearly like wild magic in her at that point. Mm -hmm. And then when she, does it with Benjamin at the end and it's just confident and it's a choice and she knows what she's doing. It's, it's a beautiful way to like season one to season three. Yes. Love it. And we'll talk about that again when we get to it, but like, you know, word vomit, love. It's fantastic. Yes. Her character development is one of my favorite character arcs. It was so good. (sighs) And her outfit at the congregation. Good. Oh, spectacular those shoes yes yes blue i loved that she was back in blue yes so much this season and she had those blue earrings on they Mm. were good Mm -hmm. and i mean we're gonna talk about this a lot later obviously but i i liked the birth scene i don't generally enjoy birth scenes but i think they really did a good job with it Mm -hmm. everything about it is good isabeau meeting jack is good yes it's just Family. Like, that's what the season is about to me. It's about family, but in a different way than Matthew has always defined family. And yes, I love it. It's, it's good. It's good. And it's good. Uh, about him sort of realizing that, you know, because fam- somewhere somebody had a, a line about how you can't choose your family. And then somebody else was like, well, with vampires, you actually kind of can. You just right? then have to live with the choice. Yeah. And yeah. I think that that was kind of kind of the theme that they do get to choose who their family is Mm -hmm. i um yeah no anything else that i want to say we'll say as we get to the episodes like i think just the the main thing is it's good like i can't wait for everybody else to get to watch all of it yeah 
It was so good. Yep. And I think we can end things there. Mm-hmm. So we'd love to know what you think of season three so far. You can tweet at us at Desire Made Real. I'm Caitlin, and you can follow me and find my other shows on Twitter at Inferior Caitlin. And I am Mandy Kay, and you can find this show and all of the other Eloquent Gushing shows at eloquentgushing.com. We are also on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Eloquent Gushing. Or you can just give me a shout out over on Twitter at Mandy Kay. Join us next week as we talk about season three, when Wales becomes New Orleans and it's a little weird. Ah, that makes so much more sense. Okay. (laughs) I remember thinking this doesn't really look like New Orleans. Sorry. Until we meet again, remember that with every ending, there's a new beginning.